Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing good? Man, it is so good to see you. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, I know Pastor Dylan said this, but my name's Stephen, and we are so excited that you're here. As a matter of fact, if we haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to learn a name and a face. We'd love to connect with you. As a matter of fact, right outside this exit to the right, there's an area called the Guest Suite. I would love to connect with you. I'm there. Our staff team is there ready uh, and ready, ready really to help you get connected into uh, our church here. And, and you know, I'm really, really excited about everything God's been doing this summer. We've been in a series where we've really been taking a look at some of our past messages and remixing them, uh, bringing them to you to encourage you this summer. We've also had so many of our friends come in and speak to you. And I'm excited this morning. Uh, we have with us today uh, Pastor Witt and Heather George uh, from Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're senior pastors there. And you know, they pastor an incredible church. It's really one of the most innovative churches in America. They have multiple locations impacting the Tulsa area. And I'm just going to tell you, we've spent some time with them over the last day. And I'm just gonna, they're, they're incredible leaders. And you know, there's a lot of things to be impressed about uh, when we bring people in. They're great leaders. They lead in the church. But how many of you know you need people in your life that want more for you than from you? I mean, you know, that's important. That's really, really important. It's easy to come into an environment like this and look around and go, this just happens. But it doesn't. It happens as a result of a lot of different friends that we have available on the phone to help us, uh, to help to help teach us, to help guide us along the way. And today I have uh, with us uh, Pastor Witt. He's going to come in and do a message. He's been a friend of mine uh, for several years now. As a matter of fact, how many of y'all had some special friends that helped you through COVID? Come on. He was one of those friends for me. I was on the phone. We were, we were uh, like strategizing together. And I'm just going to tell you, I sat through the first service, and it is an absolute incredible, incredible message. If there was ever a time for you to lean forward, take notes, really lean in, it would be now. So Vintage Church, will you join me in welcoming my good friend, Pastor Whit George. Come on. See ya. Well, hey, what's up, Vintage Church? Good to see you guys this morning, and uh, honestly, great to be here. This is my first time in Killeen, Texas. I am a native Texan, though. I live in Oklahoma. I was born in Texas, and uh, it's awesome to be here hanging out with you guys. I brought some of my family. My wife, Heather, is over here with three of our five kids. So we got five kids, 19, 17, 15, 11, and 8. I have to kind of keep that in my mind. A little bit, and uh, we got three of them over here. So we're just we're, we're happy to be here this week. We're just enjoying hanging out with you and your beautiful church, and uh, hanging out with your pastors who we love. And uh, it's just been an awesome, awesome kind of weekend for us so far. So um, excited to share with you this morning out of Psalm one. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Psalm one, and we're going to look at that whole chapter. It's only just a few verses long. I'm going to. Read it to you here in a second. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll throw it up on the screen. But we're going to kind of look at Psalm 1 and see what it has to share, to share with us today, which I think is a lot. And I think you're going to grow and develop and uh, 
Honestly, I think there's a lot God wants to say to us through this text, so let's look at it together. It says this, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. What's the result? He will be like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and he watches over it. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction, or the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's the only way we know where we're going in this world. Lord, illuminate these verses to us, this text to us this morning, so that we might be changed and transformed, that we might become more like Christ. Help me to be present right here, right now with this people to say what you want me to say in this moment. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. How is it that you live a blessed life? We talk a lot about blessing. People have that word all over the place. We hang it on the walls in our entryway to our home. We hashtag it on social media posts. Bless, bless, I feel blessed, bless. It's a word that we use. How do you live a blessed life? The psalmist lays out two paths here in Psalm 1. There's a path that leads to blessing, fruitfulness, stability, plantedness. And there's another path that leads to disorder, chaos, confusion, instability, and ultimately, destruction. He's laying out two choices for you. You know the Bible is a book filled with two choices. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book, we get two different options. In the Garden of Eden, there wasn't just one tree that God said not to eat. There was another tree called the Tree of Life that they were supposed to eat from. Two choices. You get the same two choices with Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, King David and King Saul, two choices all throughout Scripture. When Jesus shows up on the scene in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out at the very end of that sermon two different roads, two different gates, two different trees, two different kinds of fruit, and ultimately two different houses, one built on a rock, the other built on sand. There are two choices, two paths in life. And the psalmist is laying them out for you. Psalm 1 really functions as a gateway into the entire book of the Psalms. And it's really a microcosm of the whole of the Bible. There are two paths that you can take. One leads to life and the other leads to death. And the psalmist is imploring us to choose life. How many of you are old enough to remember the, the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Anybody remember that game show? If you're, if you're not familiar with it, the way that it basically worked was that you were forced to make a difficult choice. You had $500 in your hand that you could take and walk away with, or you could choose what's behind door number two. And you didn't know what was behind door number two, did you? You just had to kind of guess and hope that maybe there was something better than what you already had behind door number two. God's not playing let's make a deal with us. 
He's laying out in front of us two choices, and he's telling you clearly where these paths lead. In Deuteronomy, God speaks to his people through his prophet Moses, this leader who had led the children of Israel out of captivity and bondage in Egypt, passed them through the Red Sea to Sinai where God gave them his law, and then he sets before them, right before they go into the promised land, he says, I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. And then he says something remarkable. He says, choose life. How many of you loved open book tests whenever you were a kid in school? Those are the best tests, right? Where the answers are just right in front of you. Those are the easiest tests. God is not trying to keep the answers hidden from you. He's not trying to be opaque about what it is that you should do. He's laying it out clearly in front of you. And Psalm 1 does the same. How do you live a blessed life? life. Three things that we find in Psalm 1. I'll lay them out for you this morning. The first is this. You've got to learn to trust God's no. Look at how Psalm 1 begins. Blessed is the man who does not. It starts with a negative. Notice how it doesn't start. Psalm 1 does not begin. Blessed is the man who is full of integrity. It's good to be full of integrity. You ought to be, but that's not how Psalm 1 begins. Notice it doesn't say, blessed is the one who is so generous with all that they have that they give a portion of everything they have away. Wonderful to be generous, but that's not where Psalm 1 begins. It doesn't even begin by saying, blessed is the one who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves his neighbor as himself. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, but that's not where Psalm 1 begins. The beginning of Psalm 1 is a no. A negative, blessed is the one who does not. Why does God begin this way? The Ten Commandments are the same thing. Did you realize that eight out of the Ten Commandments are thou shalt not? Don't do this. Why does God start with these negatives? How many of you are parents in the room? Just wave at me if you're a parent. What's the first word you have to teach your little one-year-old child? No. Isn't that right? My, my wife and I, Heather, we have a 19-year-old son who we just graduated from high school. He didn't graduate. We graduated him. <laughs> That's right. And it feels so good to have him past high school. And now we're having all these conversations with him about life and money and relationships. Big conversations. What kind of a marriage do you want to have? What kind of relationships do you want to be in? What kind of money do you want to earn? These are big conversations that we're having with our 19-year-old son. But how many of you know when you have older kids, you don't start there with your kids. You start with no. Because you have to tell them no, you can't put that fork in the wall outlet. No, you can't have ice cream and Coca-Cola for breakfast, right? No, you can't, you can't jump off the top of the stairs. You can't explain gravity to them or nutrition, or that that stove is hot when they're one, two years old. You just need them to trust your no, because you understand things about life that they don't. Now, how many of you know that the distance between, the gap between your intellect and God's, your perspective and God's, is so much greater than even your perspective to your one-year-old? your two-year-old. You think you understand so much more about life than they do. This is a being without beginning and end. He sees and knows all. Nothing is hidden from him. So if you're going to be developed 
by God. If you're going to be blessed by God, the first place you have to start is to learn to trust his no. Even when it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes God says, no, avoid that. And a lot of us, and this is what I see happening so much today with people deconstructing their faith and going back and reprocessing things. And I get it. There's some things that we were raised with that we need to let go of. But part of the problem is that we want to understand everything before we're willing to do it. And maybe there's some things that God's asking you to do or to abstain from that you can't see now. You won't even see it in a year. It might take you 10 years before you realize the value in that no. The other day I was asked the question, hey, Whit, I haven't been to church in a while. It's COVID, you know, whatever. I haven't come. I used to go to church, but I've not gone for a while. And I don't really honestly feel like I'm missing anything. Why should I come back? My answer to that question is, well, maybe there's more to it than what you can see in the immediate outcome and impact. Maybe the process of being formed into and shaped into the image of Christ takes a lot longer. We live in such a microwave, immediate society that we want answers and outcomes and results like tomorrow. And if we can't see any negative effects today, we assume there'll never be anything negative. Maybe what we're missing is the long game. When God says no, can you trust his no? Can you trust that he has a perspective far greater and far higher than yours? The psalmist lays out three things that you ought to say no to. The first is this, what's called the counsel of the ungodly. What is that? That's the way that you think. There's a New Testament term for this called the world. And the world is simply what we would just call culture, right? It's the way that culture thinks about everything. This last week, we were in Dallas just before we came down here, and uh, we stopped at Six Flags Hurricane Harbor with the kids, and went in, and we're doing the slides and, you know, running around playing in the water, but we also did the Lazy River. Anybody ever been in a Lazy River before? You know what it's like? You go down the stairs, and when you stop, start into the water, step one, step two, that water's just kind of sitting there, but when you get out into the flow of the Lazy River, you don't have to do anything. That's why they call it a Lazy River. You just pick your feet up, and what happens? You just start moving around the lazy river. Wow, that is such a metaphor for what's happening with a lot of people in life. They have just picked their feet up, and they are just taking whatever the culture is feeding them, and they're going wherever the culture is leading them. That's what it is to to live or walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says, be careful, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Why? He says, because the days are evil. In other words, the current of society and culture isn't flowing towards God, it's flowing away from him. And so if you just pick your feet up, you're going to end up somewhere that you don't want to be. So the counsel of the ungodly is a place that you don't want to walk. But where does that lead? Well, it leads downward. It's a downward spiral. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners. What's the way of sinners? And what does it mean to stand there? It means to adopt their practices, their behavior, their lifestyle. When we think of standing in someone's way, we think of opposing them. That's not what... Uh, is being talked about here in this verse. It means to take on their lifestyle. So when I saturate myself in the way that culture thinks, guess what? I start doing what culture does. So what I think about affects my behavior, and my behavior in turn affects my identity. That's the third step in this digression 
which is to sit in the seat of the scornful or the mocker. What, what is this? It's to get to a place so anti-God in your life that everything and anything about him and his ways of thinking or doing just seems offensive, oppressive, and ridiculous to you. And maybe you know somebody like that who just, the very idea of God, maybe you have a family member, maybe somebody who was raised in church and now they're kind of bitter about God. They don't want to talk about it. They're not interested. They're just like, no thank you. They come to the seat of the scoffer. And friends, when you get to that point, it's really hard to come back. And so the psalmist is warning you. He's saying, stay away from these things because they lead you further and further and further away from God and to a life of disorder, chaos, and ultimately destruction. For some of you, the first step on your path to a, road, to, to the, to, to a place of blessing is you need to learn to say no to what God is asking you to say no to. Maybe there's some things explicitly in Scripture about relationships, about money, about the way that you treat other people that you need to say no to, that you know you should say no to. But maybe there's some other more subtle things that are honestly not outright sinful, but you know they're not good for you. Maybe there's a relationship, a subscription, a place some things that you just are like, when I get around there, I end up not making great choices. I do things I really probably shouldn't do. That's a thing I need to avoid. Maybe there's some things in your life that when you get quiet, you lay your head on the pillow at night. You're like, you know what? I, I've known God doesn't want me going over there. Or maybe wise counsel or a pastor in your life is like, hey, I don't know what you're doing over here, but you might want to avoid that place. And you've kind of fought it because you kind of like going there, doing that, hanging with them or whatever. And it's you've avoided saying no or trusting God's no, the first step on the path to blessing is you learning to trust God's no. If you can't trust his no, you'll never get to his yes. Trust God's no. The second part that we see in Psalm 2 that leads us to a path of blessing is you've got to learn to delight in God's instruction. So there's a negative, but then there's also a positive. Say no to this, but then say yes to this. And by the way, this is a secret to change. If you've ever wanted to change anything in your life, one of the things that you'll learn is that negative desire is never enough. How many of you have ever found that you've looked in the mirror and said, I need to lose a little bit of weight, and you've looked at yourself and gone, how did I get here? Why did I do this? And you'll hate some of the things that you do, but how many of you have found that's not enough to get in shape? It's not enough to go, I'm never doing that again. It doesn't matter if you have negative desire. It's negative desire paired with a positive pursuit that changes you. You're not only letting go of this, but you're taking hold of that. That's why I tell my church all the time that your salvation is not just a negative. Jesus did not just die to save you from your sins, to subtract all the bad things from your life so that you could live however or whatever you wanted to do or pursue your dreams. It's not about you removing sin or just removing sin from your life. It's about taking hold of God's plan and purpose for you, which happens within the framework of the local church. That's why you ought to get involved and connected here at Vintage Church, because that's where God does so much of his work and life change in you. So it's, I, I let go of this, but I take hold of something else. And what is it that the psalmist says to take hold of? He says, I delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What is this? 
It's spending time with Scripture. Not just time, but kind of constant time, like it's always going, running, and the background of your mind. The psalmist calls this meditation. There's a lot about meditation these days in culture. Chances are you've seen it on your phone, you've seen it in a blog, in a magazine. People talk about mindfulness, meditation. It's all the rage right now, and it's kind of a, a, a common thing. But there's a real difference between our modern ideas of meditation and biblical meditation. Our modern-day meditation is about clearing your mind. It's really more of an Eastern practice about removing all of your thoughts and anxieties and really just being kind of present and mindful in a moment. And while there may be some value to that, I'm not really one to say. What I can tell you is that biblical meditation is completely different. It's not about emptying your mind. It's about filling it. Filling it with God's Word, Scripture. Meditation is this idea of having something running through your mind so much that it's just constantly going, like in the background of your mind, it's just constantly running. There's a, a Hebrew word for this, it is hagah. That's the word meditation, and it means actually to mutter, to chew. It has to do with your mouth. It's not about getting quiet and sitting there and trying to empty all the thoughts out of your mind, but it's about running Scripture through your mind by way of your mouth over and over and over again. Now, why is this? Because God wants Scripture to be in your heart. He wants it here. The only way to get it here is for it to pass from here through here to here. You want to change your life, this might be the number one thing that will do it. Learn to delight, to to meditate on God's instruction. Paul writes this in the book of Romans. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the same idea. How does it happen? It happens through meditation, biblical meditation, which is running Scripture again and again and again. When I preach... Back home in Tulsa, I do it just like this every week. I I, I get up, I don't have a podium, I don't have a table, I I don't even have notes. I just get up and start talking to people. And the most common question that I get from people afterwards is, how do you do that without notes? How is it that you stand up there? They're looking around in the room for some kind of, you know, memory device for whatever it is that I'm saying. And I'm like, there's nothing really there. I have slides here that says, delight in God's instruction, but that's it. How is it that you do that? And the way that it happens is that I meditate the sermons before I preach them. If you were to come to Tulsa and follow me around for a week in which I'm preaching, there'd be time obviously spent in my office where I'm ingesting and taking a different content, but a lot of it happens in these quiet, out-of-the-way moments. It could happen when I'm driving somewhere. It happens when I'm in the shower. It happens even when I hop on my little Vespa scooter and ride around the neighborhoods of Tulsa, I'm muttering to myself the sermon. I'm preaching. If you could drive right beside me, you might think that guy's crazy. He's talking to himself. What is it that I'm doing? I'm preaching the sermon to myself before I ever preach it to you. What is that? That's biblical 
meditation, I'm just running it over and over and over again. So my morning might look something like this. I wake up, I hit the shower, and I'm just in the shower saying, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water uh, that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I, I, I've, I don't, I've said that a million times, so it just becomes automatic. It can just come out of my mouth, and I, just, I, I have it there so that I can just run it back over and over and over and over again. A few weeks ago, me and some buddies were in Arkansas riding motorcycles. I, I'm a motorcycle guy. I love riding motorcycles. And Arkansas has amazing roads. And so we were out running through the Ozark Mountains. And it was just beautiful riding six, seven, eight hours a day just through these twisty roads and trying to do it at a reasonable rate of speed because that's where it's kind of fun. And, and, and when you're doing that, it takes a lot of concentration, you know, if you don't want to die. And so... We're rolling through these roads, and, and, and it was funny, like, you, I mean, you're just on it. You're, it's exhausting. By the end of the day, you know, you're just worn out because you're just having to focus so much on the road. And one of my buddies said that he was, he was laying in bed, dozing off to sleep, and his foot was twitching like he was shifting up and down on the bike, and his hand was moving, his wrist was doing this like he was thinking about riding his motorcycle. That, what is that? That's being so saturated with God's, or, well, <laughs> motorcycles and God, they do go together. No, but that's being so saturated with something that it's just kind of oozing out of you, right? It's leaking out of you in your quiet moments. The psalmist says that's how it ought to be with you in, in Scripture. Some of you, you're not saturated in God's word, you're saturating yourself in other things, and then you wonder what's happening in your life, why you don't have the stability, the fruit, the plantedness, the peace, the joy that you'd like to have. Could it be that you're saturating yourself in Netflix? You're meditating on other things. You're meditating on Instagram, Facebook, the news. I have people in my church and they come to me and they're talking to me and they're so bothered and so distraught about what they see going on politically, especially in the last year, and they're so freaked out by it. And I'm like, how much time are you spending online trying to figure everything out? No wonder you have no peace. You're, you're, you're meditating. You don't think of it as meditation, but that's biblical meditation. You're running these stories, news reports, blogs, perspectives, and opinions over and over and over and over again through your mind, and then you wonder why you feel like you're being ripped apart from the inside out, why you're worried. You're focusing on the wrong things. It doesn't mean I, I'm like an ostrich with my head in the sand and I have no idea what's going on. It just means that the balance of my life... God's word is way down here, much weightier, and what I'm catching from culture is way up here. You want to change your life? Invest more in God's word. Learn to speak it over yourself. Pray it over your family. This last year, I bumped into a prayer in Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verses 9 through 14, and I just started, I memorized it 
And I've just been praying it every day over my family, over my church, over myself. I pray that I'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened in all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I've just prayed that a million times. You should do the same. Friends, when you find prayers in Scripture, and do you realize that that's what the Psalms are? It's just a book of prayers? You should pray them over your life, over your family, over your kids, over your business. Why? Because those prayers are better than yours. <laughs> and we're not trying to be rude to you, and it's not that God doesn't want to hear words coming out of your heart and from your mouth, but it just means that these are anointed prayers given to us by the Holy Spirit. You should learn to pray them because in everything, these are godly prayers filled with His will. That's why they're preserved for us. So learn to saturate yourself. It will change you more than anything else. This one practice. In fact, I just saw this the other day, and this is, this is a mind-blowing statistic. Someone, I forget, I'm trying to think of where I saw this. It's interesting. Spending time in God's Word one day a week has very little effect on your life. Two days a week, very little effect on your life. Three days a week, very little effect on your life. Four days a week, crazy change. They, 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 I mean, this is, they've mapped this out statistically, done study on it. Four days a week, somewhere after three days, you get into the fourth day. What is this? It's just, what, what does the psalm say? Day and night. Day and night. The more frequently you do this, friends, spending time in Scripture is different than you listening to sermons. I'm all for listening to sermons. I'm a preacher myself. But listen, listening to people like me preach to you will not change you half as much, a tenth as much is you spending time with Scripture yourself. Get into God's Word and let it change you from the inside out. That's number two. So learn to trust God's no. Number two, delight in God's instruction. And number three is this, learn to stand in God's grace. Look at what it says at the end. It says this, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment. Psalm 1 predicts, foretells, a day of judgment that's coming. A day when there is a king coming. In fact, you'll get more of this in Psalm 2. It talks about a king who's coming who will set things right. One of the most difficult things about living in the United States these days, to me it seems anyways, is the fact that none of us can agree on anything. Pick an issue. Pick anything, a movie, a product. If we go on Amazon and you see like the best products and like 99% like five stars, but you'll always find a few people one star. This thing's terrible. I hated it. Showed up broken. Customer service is awful. Blah, 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 blah. People are, I mean, there's just, there's all, you can never get consensus on anything. Pick an issue. Pick a historical event from the last, I don't know, 100 years. We can't agree on it. Did it even happen? Was there anyone on the moon? Why was 9-11 an inside job? How did it all? We can't even agree that the world is round. 
There's a competing opinion for everything. And I don't know about you, it's exhausting. I get tired of going on to just about any video that I watch on YouTube, and it's like the comments section. Oh my goodness, the comments section. Any Facebook post. I just swore off Facebook a couple of years ago. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this place. I'm not coming back here. I don't like it. It's just the, the chaos, the, 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 the lobbing grenades at one another from a distance behind a keyboard. I, I just don't want to do it anymore. And it's amazing. You know what's interesting is as Facebook declined in my life, peace seemed to go up. It was the weirdest thing. But I, I get tired of that. I get tired of the conflict. I get tired of the, well, you don't know the whole story. Well, you haven't read this book. Well, you haven't heard this perspective. It's exhausting. But Psalm 1 predicts, not just Psalm 1, the whole Bible tells us that there's a day coming when there's a a king who's going to show up, who will judge. There's a judgment day where all will be revealed. And on that day, there'll be nobody able to look at Jesus, who is that king, by the way, and say, yeah, but you never read this book. Yeah, but you, 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 you don't know what actually happened there. Well, see, there's a, there's a theory over here of actually how that happened. And you, you, if I could inform you for just a moment, then maybe you'll know what's really going on. Nobody will be able to say that to Jesus on that day. Why? Because he sees all. He knows all. All. Everything will be brought into the light. And that gives me confidence because what it tells me is that, man, whatever has been hidden, it won't always be hidden. Wherever there has been injustice, there will be justice done one day. But it also scares me because if everybody else's stuff is being brought to light, so is mine. And how do I have confidence that on that day I can stand? That on that day, I won't be overwhelmed in the judgment. That on that day, I'll have any confidence at all for where my eternal destination will be and how he will, whether he will receive me or not. How can I know that I will stand? And the answer is right there in Psalm 1. Because when it talks about the blessed man, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners. I don't know about you, but none of us have actually ever done that because we've all walked in the counsel of the ungodly to some degree. We've all stood in the way of sinners and some of us have even sat in the seat of the scoffer. But there was one who never did. One who never walked in the counsel of the ungodly or stood in the way of sinners or certainly didn't never sit in the seat of the scoffer But his delight was in his father's law, and on that law, he did meditate day and night. And he is like a tree, because he's the root of David. He's the lion of Judah, the bright morning star. He is Jesus. And because he took our judgment on himself, you and I can stand in the day of judgment because we've been given grace. And it's from that place that those of us who are in Christ live. We don't live on our own record. God knows my record isn't good enough to live or stand on. God knows about my porn addiction. God knows about my past with my 
the husband I was, the man that I was, the father that I was. He knows what I've come through. He knows where I've been. He knows what he's brought me through. I am who I am today by the grace of God. And the same can be said for you. You can stand in the judgment too, no matter where you come from or what you've done or where you've where you were last night, what choices you've made this week, that same grace can be extended to you. You can be blessed because Jesus was cursed. You can be lifted up because Jesus was lifted up and put on a tree to pay for your sin and mine. He got what we deserved so that you could get and we could get what he deserved. And that, friends, is the gospel. It's good news for broken people. We can be blessed. We don't have to have death. We can choose life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough not to leave us where we were, even when we rejected you, even when we have rebelled against you. You still pursue us and you plead with us to choose life. Father, I pray for those in the room today who have yet to choose life. I pray you would give them the courage and the boldness to do so. And Father, for those of us who are already in Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a deep passion, hunger, desire for your word, that we might meditate on it so that we could be like a tree in our families. We could be like a tree in our community. We could be like a tree in our businesses. Father, we could be a tree planted, stable, strong, where others are running around looking for answers, we could be, Father, a place of refuge, safety, and stability because of your word at work within us. Thank you, Father, that you have preserved these words so that we could be strong in you. Thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.